Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness. I'm your host Ant and in today's show once again I'm joined by the author Michael Ronin. Hello Michael. Hello Ant, it's really great to be back again. Thank you, thank you for agreeing to appear on the show again. So um, in today's um, video we're going to um, dive a little bit deeper for an exploration into an exploration of your recently published book Modern Masculinity for the Conscious Man. And um, so last time, Michael, we spoke um, a little bit about um, our true nature as human beings, right. um, not just men, women as well, of course, and um, how uh, society seeks to suppress that at every turn. And then towards the end of our discussion, we were coming onto the theme of relationships, weren't we? Uh, about how um, men and women uh, relate uh, to one another and how, um, from your interpretation, as you adequately explain in the book, there is almost this war in love. So I wonder um, if we could, first of all, start uh, by this idea of dysfunctional relating, or, or what is it that's dysfunctional, or dysfunctional, I should say, about relationships, Michael? Yeah, so <clears throat> clearly men and women have always had fairly dysfunctional ways of relating but the degree to which they're relating in contemporary terms is highly dysfunctional. And uh, so it's been getting worse generation by generation, and there are lots and lots of variables as to why that is. At the heart of it all, um, men and women are designed for each other. Um, despite our contemporary levels of dysfunction, we're actually designed for each other. We're a very good fit for each other, energetically speaking, obviously we've co-evolved together. So <laughs> there's obviously something very good about men and women. And, but, it, but currently we're getting it very wrong. And that's one of the themes that I explore in the book. So men, men and women are, are not just optional extras for each other. We actually need each other. Um, and so we need to get back to healthy ways of relating. Mm. Um, so, um, being in a relationship with a significant other is, um, I think it's actually perhaps the most difficult spiritual path that we can undertake as human beings. It's mm. very difficult. Mm. Um, you know, for better or worse, uh, certainly nowadays, the union between men and women has, um, in comparison to traditional ways of relating, um, you know, the traditional ways uh, of the uh, early and middle, middle 20th century, mm. um, which was more about duty and sacrifice and procreation than it was about being in a loving, loving dyad, a loving relationship with another person. These days, we see relationships and experience them as being more of like an, in, an intensely focused wrestling match with each other with our inner demons as well as our inner angels that that's what makes it a spiritual path um you know we're actually aiming for a whole new level of in intimacy um that we we really didn't have um uh, previously M marriage and and partnerships were not really uh, that wasn't the the mission the mission was to um do one's duty to have children and to give them a better life it wasn't really the focus was not so much about uh 
the, the love aspect. So we've brought love into marriage uh, and uh, or, or relationships. And in modern times, these intimate relationships are actually the new temple, if you like, um, where where we're brought face to face with each other's shadow and shadows and light. Mm. Um, but so what that does is that it gives us an opportunity. It, it's actually quite unnatural, um, but it gives us an opportunity to use this as a spiritual path and relate consciously with each other and actually use it as a mechanism for personal growth, as well mm. as, you know, just the experience of being adored by another person. Of course. Uh, yeah. So would you say so, that um, once upon a time, once upon a time, long ago, <laughs> before <laughs> the, the modern era, you would say that intimate relationships between men and women in this instance they were much more they had sort of much more of a functional characteristic is that what you were um alluding to um they they were there wasn't so much emphasis upon the interrelation between the man and woman it was more just around child rearing it was about yeah, accumulation was of resources exactly it was just primarily an economic arrangement yeah without any particular commitment to intimacy um, which, which is difficult to wrap your head around nowadays, but yeah, marriage was basically an, um, a contract, an economic contract. Um, nowadays we have more, more choice, uh, about what we bring into our lives, uh, who we bring into our lives, where we live, which community we live, which, where we go to work, which employer we choose, which, uh, which partner we choose or which partners plural we choose. If you want to be in a polyamorous relationship, uh, you can choose to do so these days. Mm. We're no longer confined by the norms of the past. We can actually choose so much more than we historically were able to. Um, you know, there's a, what we're getting also is a surfeit of choice. Uh, and that brings with it concerns and anxieties, contemporary concerns and anxieties. So we're struggling with, uh, with so much choice about how to conduct our lives mm. where historically our lives were much more constrained the choices were decided for us by where we were born into society mm. um, so you know the, if you look at the rate of breakups these days it's enormous absolutely enormous to compare to the historical rates of breakup um, divorces are far more easy to come by Mm. Um, divorces were frowned upon in the past uh, so the concept of marriage is struggling because of certain expectations that one per one person can like fulfill all the roles that were previously part of um, tribal social dynamic dynamics more broadly because of the atomization of society we we don't really find ourselves you know, in the tra traditional either extended family scenario mm. or the hunter-gatherer tri tribal group, um, those things are, are largely banished to history now. And we find ourselves either in uh, nuclear family situations or single parenthood situations um, or just single. Mm. And that makes it quite kind of difficult to relate when we don't have the kind of influences around us so we want um 
we still want commitment. We still want family life. We want social status. We want um, economic support, but we want all of those things provided by just one person these days. We don't look to our wider community to provide them for us. We want our lover to be our best friend. Um, you know, the one we actually uh, have deep, meaningful conversations with, our trusted confidant. Um, we want them to be our rock, our security, to provide stability for us. Mm. And at the same time, we also want to go on fun vacations or holidays with them. Uh, we want stimulation and we want adventure. Um, we want... Um, we want the reliability and the predictability of a relationship, but we also want that spark. Mm. Uh, we want novelty and spontaneity and all of those within provided for by one person. Um, and it, and it's <clears throat> this makes it very difficult to harmonize all of those different aspects just in one relationship. Mm. Yeah. So it's almost, um, it's almost impossible because, um, a thought that I've often had about the difficulties of modern relationships, as you're pointing to, Michael, is the fact that we don't really live in communities as such. And the corporate world provides our food, provides our shelter, provides our employment. So it's very hard, I've always thought, to have meaningful relationships in that context. Whereas when you're building real communities with people, you're building you're actually building physical homes and communities um and you know growing food i don't mean to rom overly romanticize that because it's a tough yeah, life yeah. but you're relating on a level with people that's quite deep and profound because you have to rely on one another for your own survival the corporation yes. isn't there uh, and i feel that that's why a lot of relationships um tend to fail because um like you were saying, there's just there's just um, there's too much pressure uh, within a society that's so dysfunctional. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but it also presents an opportunity. Um, of course. You know, we we can take what we're given and use it. Mm. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, because we're because we are so atomized and we're so um focused on in the sense romantic relationships um mm. you know we can we can choose to <clears throat> you know you can start you, you can be in an intentional community which is far more um all-encompassing and where the the it's less uh focused and more diffused in terms of how we relate with each other mm. and that'll give you that'll give you different opportunities as well um you know, I think we're coming back to that sort of, I mean, I, I, I anticipate and hope that we will be coming more and more into unity consciousness where we're coming back to seeing each other um, as fractals of the divine, if you like, yeah. and, um, and learning how to live in harmony with each other. <clears throat> sorry, I'm just recovering from a cold right now. Oh, sorry. <coughs> Excuse me, everybody. <clears throat> Um, so, um, but in the meantime, we can take what we have and use it to, um, create, uh, 
better individuals, we can work on ourselves and we can be- create better ways of relating mm. by, um, you know, it's, it's an intense ex- experiment that we're asking ourselves to do is to be in relationship with one person and see that one person as being the sole provider of everything we need. It's, it's kind of unrealistic, mm. but if you, ho- if you hold it, if you hold that concept in consciously in that respect, um, and, and in the one hand, it's a paradox. You know that it's unrealistic, but you can also work with that and stand in that paradox. Mm. So um, is that what your advice would be uh, for a conscious man as a beginning point of understanding how they can navigate relationships in a more healthy and sort of fulfilling way? I think for the, well, the, the first thing the conscious man needs to do is, is work on himself. Um, and that means coming into his own integrity and mm. living from his heart, mm. uh, coming into alignment with his core essence. And that fully embraces both the masculine and feminine within him. Mm. Um, so a man, a man in his divine essence is, um, he's unconcerned with, you know, like becoming more masculine, becoming more dominant or powerful or mission driven or successful or confident all of those things are great but um a lot of men do that for the purpose of attracting a woman you know because that's what women are attracted to Mm. Uh, now i would suggest that he should start with who he is at his core and be that be the authentic version of himself rather than making himself into something that women will be attracted to he wants to be the best version of, it, of himself and present that best version to the world and draw into his life women who are attracted to his own unique expression of himself. Mm. You know, he's, he's certain about himself. Uh, he's resolved and comfortable in his own skin. And he may not be like the typical manly man, but mm. he is fully who he is supposed to be. Mm. Um, and, you know, the main problem for men in relationships with their woman is that they're largely unskillful. Um, and, but they, I mean, we're not taught how to relate with each other. We don't have any classes. We don't learn about this at school. We're just supposed to understand it at some unknown visceral level and be good at it. Or Watch else... a few rom- rom-coms. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and that's there. I mean, rom-coms are basically written and produced from the female perspective. It's about her fantasy fairy tale man that she wants in her life. Mm. Um, you know, men would do well to have romance movies from the male perspective as well. Mm. Um, you know, then <clears throat> it's sorry. I'm I'm having to clear my throat again. It's okay. <clears throat> um. So the the number one thing a man needs to actually look for in a woman when considering pairing up with her, it's really very simple. It's the first thing he should do is is ask himself, is the woman actually capable of being in a relationship? Mm. Because many women have many, many fine traits and qualities. They may uh, be really attractive, really beautiful, really appealing. Mm. but 
many of them are, are absolutely incapable of behaving themselves in a relationship. Um, so that's the preeminent question that the conscious man has to ask himself is before all of those, I mean, we're, we're attracted to what we're attracted to what we're attracted to in a woman. Mm. But if she is incapable of um, being in a relationship with a growth mindset with a conscious man, then um, sadly, he, he would do well to um, reject her in favor of someone who is more evolved in that respect. Mm. And the, the reason I say that is because many women are, are, are simply are incapable of being in a relationship. And yet, you know, they spend far more time um, reading about relationships, both fiction and nonfiction, uh, watching TV and movies about relationships, talking with their girlfriends about relationships. So you would think that women would be a whole lot better than men at being in relationships. But empirically, the, it, the, the, it, it seems that women are, are becoming less and less capable mm. in spite of their interest in relationships. Mm. Um, Can I just, sorry, yeah, carry on, Mark. sorry. Um, yeah, you used the phrase um, to know how to behave uh, in a relationship. Um, a lot right. of women don't know how to behave. Um, what, does, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, well, rather than, so that their perception of men mm. is colored by numerous unrealistic representations of men in movies, in songs, magazines, chick flicks, you know, online, mm. um, you know, rom romantic comedies. Let's take romantic comedies. <clears throat> they present the male lover as someone who will sacrifice his well-being for her. He'll sacrifice his friends, his career, even sacrifice his life you know think of titanic the movie titanic sure, sure um in order to demonstrate to the woman his unconditional love for her um he exists to simply exist to serve her romantic needs hmm. and and so she internalizes all of these numerous influences around her um her perception of what to expect from real real men real life men shifts in that direction to this unrealistic direction and men discover that they're unable to live up to her expectations um you know and her shopping list of requirements from men that she wants in it to, it, to be there in in terms of a relationship with that man mm -hmm. and to which she believes she's entitled um and this is exacerbated by our current culture where women are being socialized to be antagonistic and even feel superior towards men. Mm. Um, they're constantly on the lookout for men's faults in order to give themselves a feeling of moral superiority. Mm. Um, one of the other variables that is, is, is feminism as well, and that feminism challenged women to compete with men in all aspects of life that were traditionally male dominated. Um, but the thing is the, the equality that they demanded was equality of masculinity, not equality of femininity with masculinity. Mm. The mm. result, because, because they demanded equality of masculinity, women have developed these strongly integrated male approaches to their life. And so they function more from a male psychology.
Mm. Um, it's what Carl Jung called the animus possessed pers persona. Mm. And so um, mon many modern women, <clears throat> they have this disdain, this self, this sense of disdain, not only for men, but also for their own feminine side, their feminine aspect. And this makes them incapable of receiving in, mm. in the sense of, of that feminine energy of, of receptivity. Mm. Um, so even, even if they receive positive appreciation from a man, many women perceive it as uh, aggression or harassment. You know, if a man gives her a compliment, mm. or, um, uh, it, it's, it, it's more and more likely these days that she will see it less as a compliment and more as um, uh, as being a, a, some sort of an aggressive attempt to come onto her. Mm. The that phrase, the phrase that we hear is, is it um, the words microaggression? We're familiar <laughs> with that, and also yeah, yeah. mansplaining and things and things like that. I remember <laughs> once a few years ago there was um, an article in the guardian and uh, it was written by a woman and yeah it was all, all about the um you know the horrors of mansplaining on the london underground right right uh, you know um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's it, it's it's interesting again in the um it's almost like i see this as a diversionary it's it it, it just creates more dis discord and disharmony within relationships and if one was thinking from a conspiratorial mindset and the controllers of society, like we discussed a little bit last time, Michael, there is, um, I think there's a deliberate element to that, um, to, to create a kind of society where there are divisions between men and women and, and men, uh, younger men coming, uh, you know, into maturity, they're now thinking, well, do I, do I open the woman? Uh, sorry, do I um, open the door for the woman, I should say, you know, in, in, in the uh, office or all of those things, whereas once of our generation, when we were younger, it was a given that that was a polite gentleman, gentlemanly thing to do. Now, all right. of those things, there's all these questions uh, around uh, the appropriateness of behaviours um, from men towards women. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 The. Um you were talking about it perhaps being intentional. Yeah. And I think I'd, I'd have to agree. Um, I think um, feminism is basically a proxy war. Mm. It's a war that the ruling class is waging against ordinary people. And it's a proxy war in the sense that they can wage, they can get a phony war going between men and women because men and women, as I said, right at the beginning, we're, we are designed for each other. We're made for each other. Mm. We are supposed to be good for each other, uh, but look around you. Um, so fe feminism is actually a very, very powerful organization. It has billions of dollars behind it. it it's, it's an industry in and of itself. Mm. Not many people realize that. And, you know, I have to say that I, I was a feminist <clears throat> for 30 years. I was, a, I was a feminist. I believed in feminism. Mm. I believed in a, you know, I believed in a fairer, kinder world. Uh, and I, I thought that once the inequalities between the sexes had been addressed, um, such a world would come, come to pass. Mm. And um, you see, feminism uh, passes itself off as a social good in a way that makes it invisible 
to, to others. And in, it, the harm it does is insidious. Um, it can do so because uh, as a society, we see uh, women or femininity as, as the good sex. Mm. Men are the bad sex, men are toxic mm. and men must be tamed and subdued so as to reverse all the historical aggressions of the past uh, and then step off the plate. Mm. So, you know, there came a time, um, well, I, I should say that, you know, I, I, I've been on women's marches. I've been, I automatically favored all sorts of legislation put forward to redress any perceived imbalance between the sexes. Yeah. And I cared about women's issues and I still care about women's issues today. Mm. So I'm not anti-woman. Mm. I, I am critical of modern femininity. I'm harshly critical of feminism, but I'm mm. not anti-woman. Mm. And um, there, there came a time when I, I felt conned by feminism. And, um, you know, the theme is, if it often is, if you're against feminism, then you, you have to be against women because mm. feminism is about struggles for equality. And it isn't. It, it, it really isn't. And I go into why it isn't in the book. Um, so I, I am for women. I'm for women. And I'm also for men. I'm for both sexes, realizing their full potential as human beings. Mm. But my own internal bias um, favored women's voices above men's voices for 30 years mm. because of the ongoing injustices that I believe they experienced as a group. A group. Um, so I understand it. I understand that when a man um, challenges feminism, uh, the automatic assumption is that he is uh, misogynistic mm. or that he's, he's trying to defend his privileged position as a man and is trying to muddy the water. So, you know, in my own journey, it wasn't until I heard um, an attack on feminism coming from the mouth of a woman I, I, that I started to question my own belief paradigm. I, I would never have listened to a man rebuking feminism. It was only when I heard a woman rebuking it that I heard the arguments behind um, the dark side of feminism. Mm. And now I, and the, be the beauty is that, is that I can now hear men's pain where before I was just deaf to it. Mm. So, you know, it's actually brought me more into alignment with both men and women. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah. um, Michael, I wonder if you if we could um, cover the area of uh, what we were talking about before we came on air, and that is um, the different types of relationships. Obviously, yeah. as we were speaking about before, that there are many different types, and that's right. one of the good things about the openness and freedom that we do enjoy in modern society. Um, obviously, in spite, and we, we know we're talking about the problems of relating between men and women in relationships. But yeah, I wonder if we could just um touch upon that subject yeah there's a <clears throat> there's an evolution in uh, a personal evolution that we go through in our lives um, and the sorts of relationships that we invite into our lives uh, based on how mature we are mm. essentially um, and we go through various stages where um, we move from immature behavior to very mature behavior uh, so the, the stages of relationships that I've identified are, there are, there are four of them. There's the 
at the beginning, there's the sensory relationship. And then you have the growth relationship. And then you have the partnership relationship. And then you have what I'm calling the, the divine union. Mm. Um, so the, 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 the most immature relationship is the sensory relationship. And this is where men and women are more focused on um, the thrill of being in a relationship, the adventure of it, the, ch the challenge and the conquest and the fun. Mm. And, it, you know, it's where they're more focused on the physical side of the relationship, you know, doing fun things together, mm. uh, going on hikes, going on a, uh, holidays or vacations, um, uh, doing activities together that they both enjoy. And it's heavily, particularly this relationship is heavily oriented towards having sex. Mm. It's a sensory relationship. So that's wall to wall sex. Mm. Um, and, you know, they're interested in the heat of a passionate relationship, uh, sparks and fire and vitality. Mm. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there is this kind of erotic polarity in this relationship. Um, and they're fairly superficial. Uh, they're a hell of a lot of fun. And they're great. <laughs> there is this, you know, there's this intense feeling of aliveness mm. of being in a, in, a, in a sensory relationship. I mean, what's not to like about the thrill of living, the mm. thrill of feeling fully and being alive. Um, uh, but, you know, there, there's not much work being done about how to relate with each other. It's just enjoying the experience of being with each other and just like mm. sucking out all that live energy from it. Um, so, you know, that there's very little codependence in this relationship, but, mm -hmm. uh, there's some, but the, the bond, the bonds of codependency are not very strong and it's usually short lived. And so are the relationships. These relationships basically go away after the new car smell has worn off. Um, and, uh, they often end explosively as well, you know, both both of them get into a huge row or huge argument and call it quits. And then they dive straight into the next sensation, sense, sensory relationship. Mm. So that's, there's that. And we've all been there. <laughs> They're all great fun. Mm. But eventually, eventually we start growing up and um, wondering if we can get some, if there's something that we're missing, you know, some depth within the relationship that we're missing. Um, and so we choose, we choose to be with someone, not just for the sensory experience of it, but also with the things which uh, transcend that as well. And in, in a growth relationship, this is where um, people become interested in their responses and patterns within themselves. Mm. And, uh, and, the, uh, and, and they're also more, much more aware of the deficits in relationships, but they don't really understand why. They, they, they feel the deficits, they get into arguments a lot of the time. Mm. And they, what, what, what's going on behind the scenes is that, they, that their partner is their teacher. Um, they don't realize their partner is their teacher, sure. but they're, lear they're learning about how to relate with each other and getting it, you know, getting it wrong. They're, they're not relating in healthy ways. They're arguing with each other. They're being triggered by each other. Lots and lots of their shadows are coming to the surface and seeing the light of day. And that's a good thing. Mm. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of battling that's going on. 
I mean, equally, there's a lot of uh, codependence. They may be trying to be the good guy or the nice guy or, or the good girl. Um, but the principal purpose of this relationship is to come to some new inner equilibrium mm. um, and, and a new, new ways of being and relating with their man or with their woman that they either accept or reject. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the relation, these relationships can actually last for a very, very long time. You know, it's like long-term marriages um, that nobody is happy in, but they both stay in it together. Mm. Um, but they're mirrors for each other. There are lessons that they're learning as they, as they're in their, in their unhappiness, that they are internalizing some lessons about what it is to be in an un unhealthy relationship and relate in unhealthy ways. Mm. So that, that's, the, that's potentially a growth relationship. And then you get the next level, which is a partnership relationship. And here, <clears throat> the participants are more fully integrated. They've reached a greater level of appreciation and respect for both themselves and their partner. And they've become highly attuned to themselves mm. and their partner. And um, they recognize their triggers, their reactivities, um, and when those strong feelings do arise within the relationship, instead of being derailed by those, th those strong emotions, it's almost like they're surfing the waves of their emotions. They're, they're riding on top of those waves. Um, and their primitive drives have been reconciled. They're still there. They still exist. They're still that, but they're acknowledged and it's a part of the relationship. Mm. Um, and they're quickly able to reconnect with themselves. They become very present. They're able to um, calm themselves down and self-control becomes greater. So uh, whereas in the, in the growth relationship, they may repress uncomfortable emotions that come up. Mm. In the partnership relationship, it's more about self-control rather than repression. Um, there's greater patience and acceptance, which, which uh, um, flows around them. And uh, both people um, reciprocate very, very easily. Each person's needs and desires are um, balanced with the other person's needs and desires. So there's this trust that they develop. It becomes far more peaceful and trusting. Um, the, the kids may have left home if it's a long-term relationship and they're mm. still together. They don't, they don't divorce mm. uh, because they still find value in each other. Um, even though the kids may have kept them together at some point or other, it's, they have a personal connection which bonds them. Mm. And um, there's less passion, le fewer sparks, fewer fire. Um, and safety rather than excitement is, is what keeps them together. They're very comfortable together. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's the compassionate communication is really the norm of that sort of relationship. Mm. Would you so, also say that, um, sorry to interrupt, would you also say yeah. that there's an element to which I'm thinking of sort of in terms of emotions, there's almost an alchemical process going on here, uh, when you were talking about 
you know, um, recognizing uncomfortable emotions when they come to the surface and perhaps even um, trans transforming them and, and, and working through them. There's almost a sort of fluidity to the process rather than uh, labeling uh, difficult emotions as they come up and, and wanting to restrain them and feeling uncomfortable. There's almost yeah, yeah. This, an embracing uh, process going on yeah you know um we we we're wounded you you i and everybody on this planet are wounded we carry within us um, these woundings and mm. shadow aspects and in a relationship because it's so highly charged highly focused these woundings come to the surface more easily than they do with your friends or with your employer or whoever else we feel safe to, in a sense, we feel safer to allow those shadow aspects to come out and see the light of day. Mm. And what we want is for those shadow aspects to be met with unconditional love. Um, what, what often happens is they're not, you know, depending upon the maturity of our partner. Um, in, the, in the divine union, which is the highest order of relationship, Mm. These, these shadow aspects are met with unconditional but critical acceptance. They're allowed to come out. And it's, um, so all the, 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 the annoyances and the fears that we have and the difficulties we experience, all of these are catalyzed by the presence of our beloved. But in the divine union, it's embraced as it, they are embraced as essential components in the path of love and um yeah so we bring into our relationship all those conditioned aspects of our nature which have not yet been integrated all of our worries all of our concerns our likes and our dislikes all the personal needs that we have within us that uh up until now potentially have never been met Mm. so um you know it all comes rushing out so there is actually a um you know what happens is that our nervous system gets triggered mm. and it needs to resolve itself back to a baseline of of ease and well-being um so in the divine union by when we hold space for when our partner has been like captured by this threat response Mm. Um, we actually empower them. They feel more capable of negotiating that emotional reaction for themselves in the future. So um, they don't have to do it all by themselves. Mm. They, they have someone who's going to, um, to give them sweet medicine as well. Mm. So we're not, we're, it's not spiritual bypassing, but in the no. divine union, um, it's, it's a mutually healing relationship. So there's a re reciprocity within this uh, um, dimension then, or dynamic, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why that's why I'm really enthusiastic about um, this modern the modern times where mm. we, we're looking to each other to basically fulfil each other, um, mm. and I'm basically saying let's do that consciously. Let us allow us to evolve our consciousness mm. co-creatively. Co and see it as a whole new opportunity of intimacy as a sacred path, as a path of ascension, involving like this 
um, so it, it, it allowing us to explore and cultivate the unformed and unintegrated aspects of ourselves and our beloved yeah. um, as well as you know the stuff that makes our hearts sing it's why we're in relationships we want mm. our hearts to sing yeah uh, we want you know that but we we can't just push away all the all the stuff we don't like and expect to have a healthy relationship we need to embrace those shadow aspects to evolve into a better sort of way of relating mm. and the, so the divine union is where we we do that we see each other for who they are we mm. see each other at the soul level at the animal level at every level mm. uh, you know it's it's actually seeing god in each other whether you believe in god or not mm. it's a relationship where you're accepted for who you are you know not 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 in the kind of naive sense where you know any behavior is, is acceptable no there's still clear boundaries of course yeah exactly yeah you know we're, we're embracing the uh process of being who we are now with with how we are evolving and improving mm. um so yeah and it's um thanks for that it's interesting obviously we've already seen during uh, lockdowns of various guises across the world that that's placed an enormous strain on relationships. I mean, one thinks of um, the way in which uh, certain types of relationships, they only survive because uh, people aren't living cheek by jowl and they go out to the office and they can maintain a relationship because they're not together all the time and they've been forced yeah. together or we've got horrific situations of people um you know being abused uh and normally their escape route might be work or or to 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 get out and visit friends and they haven't had that option and of course you've got those people who would uh be involved in affairs or extramarital affairs and to a large degree that option has been closed off or at least it's been made a lot more difficult right, right. um so there's been since um the covid <clears throat> uh pandemic uh hit um there's been yeah massive impact on on relationships uh, and it will be interesting to see i think you slightly alluded to towards the end of your book that we could be entering quite a difficult period in terms of um people's um economics or the economics and the finances of the world shall right. we say and it could it, it might be that there's even more pressures placed upon people in relationships going forward which is like you were saying, but that's all a good thing in terms of opportunities for growth, because we are in this shake-up period now in in human history. Um, so, how do you do, do you see? How do you see um, as we're coming up uh, to the end of our allocated time here, Michael? Um, how how do you see yeah, relationships within each, between men and women morphing and changing in the coming years and decades? Uh, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so we have this opportunity. Yeah. But we also have huge obstacles that we have to overcome. And the book basically goes into what those obstacles are so that, um, you know, you, as a man, you have a choice, you can either um, allow yourself to be surprised by what life has to offer you and embrace it. Mm. Um, or you could choose to be well informed mm. and not be so surprised. Um, the so this book is about informing men, 
mm. about what the, the greatest pitfalls, obstacles and pressures are uh, that he's going to experience in his life. Mm. Um, so, you know, both of those things are absolutely fine. You know, you, if, you, if you want to be, if you want to be, to take life as you find it and not be influenced by the thoughts of others, um, that's as equally and valid a strong position as the sure. one I'm saying, which is to be as informed as possible. So, um, like we, like I was saying that there, as you brought up at the beginning as well, that there is the war of the sexes. That mm. you know we 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 know about the war of the sexes, and essentially, uh, what that means is that there cannot be peace between men and women as long as <clears throat> as long as there is war in love. And love is what will heal us. We need sure. love. Um, but if you're blind, then certain things will derail love. So we need certain higher virtues that support loving energy. Um, that the, the conscious man will be wise to cultivate within himself. So he needs to cultivate wisdom. Cultivate, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> He needs to cultivate his wisdom, his intelligence, his clarity, mm. his intuition, um, his compassion, his honesty, his authenticity, and so on. Um, at the same time, recognizing that male and female relations are tragically broken. Um, and, um, you know, I'm going to say it right now. There is a war against men, and it, that, that's not meant as a metaphorical flourish. No. And, um, and the poison is feminism and i if you're if you're surprised about what i'm saying then i would urge you to read the book and understand why because obviously we've only got a few minutes left but sure yeah essentially the the, the feminist narrative is that if you weaken men you'll make women stronger mm. um and you know that that is just deluded mm. so um and we can see the effects all around us in modern society of that kind of delusion, can't we, really? And we, we, we all know what's happening within society. So, yeah. Yeah. So although the state of affairs these days is very discouraging, um, to my mind, it's almost an impossibility to find a woman who is living in, is capable of living in harmony with a man. Mm. My, my sincere hope is that men and women can take a path forward where we collectively own our shadow aspects and celebrate each other celebrate what the opposite sex brings to our lives mm. um, create create new men and women new ways of being mm. with each other that bring out the best in each other mm. uh, create a world where both sexes feel respected and safe and excited to be in the presence of each other because mm. they're not right now they're not um, mm. you know where women can fully inhabit their feminine aspect as much as they choose mm. um, where men can um, look to each other as brothers rather than adversaries mm. and um, which is what we have now you know mm. Mm. um let's let's find a way where we can love each other freely and vulnerably and authentically mm. um so i go into a lot about you know what what that what the world what that would look like what sort of complementary arrangements 
we could construct in order to support that loving energy mm. um, and also um, looking at our childhood experiences the wounding that we got from our parents and how that colors our perceptions as adults mm. and how our relationships with our beloved can help heal um, our childhoods um, mm. as long as we choose that if we, we we can choose to be that sort of partner for each other mm. I, I also call in the book for an age of healing and i believe we're here to heal each other mm. we're, we're so fucked up as a species right now and mm. uh, that you know if if we don't sort ourselves out anytime soon we're we're going to annihilate annihilate ourselves mm. so um we need to re resolve ourselves back to a baseline of um ease and well-being because what we have right now is um we're we're walk, we're the walking wounded we're no we're all bleeding and we can't see we can't the, this blood is invisible but it's dripping off us everybody is is suffering in this world to such an extent that they cannot resolve themselves back to a healthy way of be, being mm. so i ask yeah. i ask Sorry, go ahead. Man. No, sorry, I was, just, I was just going <laughs> to. So I was just going to say, and we're seeing that, aren't we, with the kind of disastrous geopolitical situation going on at the moment? It's almost like an outward expression of what you're talking about. Our own psychology is this the the your potential disastrous situation in uh, Ukraine, Russia, and and uh, in China and Taiwan and. Iran and Israel; these ongoing situations—they're almost mirrors, aren't they? Yeah. Um, to our own individual psychology, and yeah, like you say, it, 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 on the one hand, it is, it's quite concerning. But I, I almost feel, just sort of to round things up, we've gone so far in one direction of misunderstanding. We've gone so far in a direction of conflict, disharmony. It's almost as if there's no other way now but to ping back to some sense of balance or just to be annihilated, like you said. Do you know, right. I, I don't mean to catastrophize, but <laughs> that's the point I feel that humanity's at right now. And as I say, it's been reflected in the sort of global political situation as well. Yeah, we've, we've actually reached a do or die scenario. Yeah, that's the good phrase. Yeah, it's a um, good phrase. You know, we're, we're, uh, we are we're at such a level of this dysfunction now, such mm. a high all-time level of dysfunction mm. um, in our society. I mean, the good news is that we're also at such a high level of consciousness as well. Yes. We're able to see, more, yes. of, more and more of us are able to see um, the self-destructive mass mm. delusion that's all around us. Mm. And we can observe um, the majority let's call them um cheering it cheering it on you know people people basically blowing themselves up mm. so we we are we've reached that point in our in our conscious our co-evolution where in order to survive as a species we have a choice yeah um we can either do nothing or we, we should do something mm. um so my suggestion is that we claim ourselves reclaim ourselves take take power back into our own hands mm. and become fully sovereign uh, not in the personal sense or i should say both in the personal sense and the collective sense mm. become sovereign individuals because um 
there, there is a war on consciousness. There is a war on ordinary people. Absolutely. And we, we, if we do nothing, then we will be conquered mm. for good, for good. There will be no getting, going back. Mm. We are at that precipice. So sure. this means no longer <clears throat> seeing ourselves as subject to the authority of our rulers, the ruling class. Um, it means revoking our consent to be governed. Um, and it means delegitimizing um, those aspects of authority which are not in our best interests and mm. legitimizing the legitimizing ourselves mm. absolutely and that's what um that's what covid in the last year has demonstrated so well it's time for us to step into our empowerment and uh, and sovereignty um thank yeah. you so much um michael for joining us today um uh, before we finish I wonder if you could just share uh, with the audience um, how they can purchase your new publication, your new book. Oh yeah, thanks, Sam. <clears throat> so it's, um, the name of the book is um, Modern Masculinity for the Conscious Man by Michael Ronin, and it's available at Amazon right now. Um, I also have a website which uh, I've, is half constructed. It's michaelronin.net. Um, and uh, if you'd like to get in touch with me at all, then you can contact me through the website. Mm. I'll put those links in the description in the description box so people can uh, purchase the book there and um, communicate uh, with you um, if they feel that, feel the need to, which um, I imagine they will because we've uh, covered so much ground. And um, I think a lot of people at the moment are feeling due to the censorship, a lot of what we've spoken about in these two videos, people can't actually express in modern world anymore uh, right. and um it's good to have the opportunity to talk about what is regarded as controversial in modern in a sensorial type of society <laughs> so exactly yeah. exactly yeah so um thank you everyone for joining us today uh hope you've enjoyed um our discussion today and thank you again uh michael for appearing on discerning consciousness it's been really uh, fantastic to, to get your, to, to hear all about the main themes and um, discussion around your book. So thank Thanks, you so Andy. much. It's thank you very much. Pleasure.